0: You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. My name is Jacob. I am the assistant pastor here at Victory, and it is an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you today. Um, I thank Pastor Ed and Pastor Lisa for the opportunity. It is a blessing, and I, I don't take that lightly. Our series, Finding Truth, is that's this is such an exciting series to be in because we get to really dig into why we believe what we believe. And tonight's topic is Why should I believe the Bible is true? And this is something that is so near and dear to my heart because, man, I love the Bible. It's just, I nerd out about the Bible. If anyone of you know me, you know this is something to be true. Um, I'm like, Jeremiah, it is like a fire that is shut up in my bones and I cannot contain it so I'm very excited so the question at hand right now is why should I believe the Bible is true well let's turn in our Bibles right now and see why we should believe the Bible is true so if you have your Bibles with you if you have your Bible app turn to second Timothy we're going to be looking at verse 3 uh, sorry chapter 3 verse 16. And 17, and this is what it says. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us in what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's why. See you next week. Okay, (laughs) all right, all right. So, I, I don't know. Like, listen, you're not supposed to open with a mic drop statement like that, but come on, how do I compete with that? Because it's just so plain and simple. But I think we, regardless, I think we should probably unpack this a little bit more, right? Should we kind of dig into this a tad more? So, I'll come back to that passage, so bookmark it. But let me share a quick story with you. When I was younger, I was uh, around nine years old. My aunt paid for me to go to a week-long Christian camp in New York. And it was one of the most miserable experiences of my life, okay? and I. But the best part about that is I got a ton of great stories from one week of camp. I have like eons worth of stories, so that's good. And one of the stories that we have from it is that um, one of the days in our itinerary, in, in, in our schedule, was uh, designated as a swim day. Okay, so, and how they presented it is that they said that we were going to go to this beautiful, pristine oasis in the cool of the Adirondacks of New York. And so I was pretty excited when my parents told me that that's what we were going to do. But the reality was, it was a muddy, algae filled green pond on the side of a busy highway with who knows what lurking beneath this algae you know, a green substance that was floating on top. So as I approached this pond, contemplating whether or not I was going to attempt to swim in it, uh, one of the older counselors came up to me and, um, and, and I just remember this so vividly. He came up to me and began to tell me a story about a shark in New Jersey that made its way from the ocean to a lake to a canal, to a pond, much like this one, and ate a couple of kids. All right, so I have very sarcastic parents. I'm Irish, so that, you know, it's in my blood. I'm very sarcastic myself. So I looked this guy up and down and at the age of nine. I said to him, why should I believe you? You have tattoos. And I jumped into the water stubbornly and just ignored him. Apparently, at that point in my life, having tattoos made you unreliable. Clearly, I still hold to that prejudice. (sighs) No. Anyhow, obviously the guy was trying to mess with me, but guess what? The story he told me, surprisingly enough, is true. It's what they based the movie Jaws from. It's a, uh, as an adult, I read a book called Close to Shore that documents the summer of terror in New Jersey, and that very account the counselor was teasing me about was in it verbatim. So why do I share this story? Because the story seemed outrageous. It seemed unbelievable, and it seemed like it was from an unreliable source. And I think some of us have had or have that same kind of viewpoint when it comes to the word of God. And I, I don't have enough time tonight to, or today to adequately teach all the apologetics for the Bible, but I can get the conversation started. We can scratch the surface together. Is that fair? Can we do that together? So if you can believe a pastor with tattoos, let's take a look. At why we need the Bible. So let's pray. God, thank you for your living word. Soften our hearts. Open our minds. Lift our spirits to what you have to say through your word and through this cracked and broken vessel today. Amen. So before we jump into the the statement of being inspired by God or or God breathed let's lay some groundwork okay so the bible is the most popular selling book of all time written over the span of 1600 years with over 40 authors written in different forms of history from history to poetry to prophecy to letters all included in this collection of books from different Points of history in different walks of life and different perspectives. And because of this, some of the Bible is literal while other figurative. Um, but it's been on best-selling lists for longer than any book in history. It's been translated into hundreds of languages. It's been highly regarded in endless countries and cultures, as well as it's been banned. And let me just pause for one moment. Can we step out of the comfort of the American bubble and think about this? There are still areas in the world where you will be tortured and killed for having this book in your possession. Do not allow this to be a freedom squandered. It lives up to historical scrutiny. Case in point, let's look at textual criticism. Textual criticism works by comparing ancient manuscripts to discover their original wording. Basically, the more copies of manuscripts there are and the closer they are to the date of the original manuscript or events, the more confidence we can be in uh, in, in the product itself. Does that make sense? So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some examples here. Herodias and uh, Thylodes, were ancient historians who wrote in 5th century B.C. Uh, That's around like 500 B.C. And the earliest copies of their writings we have is around 900 A.D. So that's a 1,300-year gap for those who were still following me. Um, And we only have eight copies of their writings. Yet no classical scholar would ever argue that these writings have come to us in a form that's anything but true to the original copies. And then, and this is the case for many other ancient texts as well. For example, Livy's Roman History has nine hundred year gap with twenty copies. Caesar's Gallic War has nine hundred and fifty gap with nine to ten copies. Uh, Cassiatus, 1,000-year gap with just 20 copies. And then we come to the New Testament. What we see here is the time gap is significantly shorter. It was written between 40 and 100 A.D. That's a 30-year gap. And there is as many as 5,309 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin, 9,300 others making the new testament the most unique among other ancient books so we can look confidently at what is written in the new testament because no other ancient text in the world comes close to the trustworthiness of the bible come on that's awesome that's exciting but let's talk about eyewitnesses in the bible matthew mark luke Peter, they all claimed in the Bible that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. They had no upside perk from making those claims. Peter was crucified upside down. Matthew and John were martyred. Listen, people don't die for what they know to be a blatant lie. They just don't. Outside of that, so many men and women throughout history would be willing to die for just a book I mean, uh, 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 just because it has some good teachings in it? If it were just a book, why don't we just take out the outlying uh, principles and apply them to our lives and get rid of this book? What is it about the Bible that people, even today, are willing to risk their whole life for unless it truly is the Word of God? Well, the answer is just that. It's Jesus himself. Jesus serves as the linchpin to this argument. And we're gonna come back to that, so just keep that in the back of your head. But in the Gospel of Mark, he says, a man who helped him, this is in Mark 15, 21, if anyone's taking notes. In the Gospel of Mark, he says, the man who helped Jesus carry the cross to Calvary was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And there's no reason for Mark to include the names unless the readers knew or had access to them as people. So Mark is saying here, basically, if you don't believe me, go down the street and ask Alex and Rufus. They, they saw it. They know what's going down. In the same way, Paul, saw, Paul also appeals to readers to check with living eyewitnesses if they want to establish the truth of what he's saying about the life of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6, Paul refers to a body of 500 eyewitnesses who saw the risen Christ all at once and you can't write that in a document meant for public consumption unless there really were surviving witnesses that would corroborate what the author has said and it's not only christ's supporters who saw and and were still alive many bystanders officials opponents of christ who actually heard him teach seen his actions, watch him die, that were alive and presumably able to speak. They would have been especially ready to challenge any accounts that had been fabricated. It would have been impossible for the gospel to spread the way it did had Jesus never said or done or mentioned uh, uh, things that Jesus had done and said mentioned in the gospel accounts. People would have laughed it off It's nonsense. And I love this. Paul's in front of uh, the uh, King Agrippa in Acts 26, 26. And he says to him, he says, these things weren't done in a corner. It wasn't done in secret. I mean, come on, guy. You know, you know what I'm talking about. He says that to him. And believe me, I could go on. The gospels are too detailed to be works of legend. Far too many things point to its authenticity that I have time to even address today. So let's move on to the argument of inspiration. Like I mentioned before, the Bible has many authors, but all of are inspired by God to write and give account of what we have in front of us today. And uh, before you get all huffy and weird, we can argue later, but let me put put it this way. Christopher Wren, he's a world-famous architect, and uh, you may not recognize his name, but I'm certain you know his buildings, and I have a picture real quick of one of the little buildings that he he made, he designed. He designed uh, St. Paul's Cathedral. So he drew up the plans carefully and decided where each stone was to be placed, where each tile was to be laid. And even though he didn't put each piece of the cathedral together, no one ever doubted that he built it. No one ever doubted that he was the inspiration and the voice behind it all. In a similar way with the Bible, there is one architect, one inspiration, and that is God. You see where I'm going with this, church? Now that we're on a roll, let's, let's build off of that. Here's some bold claims that the Bible makes. God, speak this. Life into your people. He says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest of two-edged swords, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Whoo! In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11, it says, My thoughts are like nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and they stay on the ground to water the earth and they cause the grain to grow, producing a seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. And get this, this is awesome. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and prosper everywhere I send it. That is a bold statement, people. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. It says in John 20, verses 30 through 31, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Do you feel the power behind those words? If you don't, my heart breaks for you because you're missing out on something wonderful, something amazing. I could go on, my church, Christ's bride, this is the living word of God. But more to the argument in hand, these are bold statements that can only be backed up if we believe this is true and accurate, that God is real and Jesus is our resurrected savior. See, I believe the Bible is true because God is true and reveals himself in his word. And without going too far in the weeds here, I think it's safe to say that we'd be hard-pressed to find sufficient evidence that the biblical accounts that we have today in the Old Testament and the New Testament are invalid. There are textbooks filled to the brim, written by people much smarter than I am to attest to the validity of the Bible. And this is why instead of refuting its validity, we see most people trying to change the language of the Bible. See, it gets tampered down and reduced to a buffet of cultural and political talking points rather than what it really is, and that is holy. This is the holy word of God. And I know like, I, so- I sound like a broken record here, but biblical illiteracy is at its highest historically. Why is that? It's because we don't revere it as the holy words of God, as the living word. It's because we're not meditating on it day and night. It's because we're not teaching it to our children, and we don't want to submit to the authority it should have over each and every one of us. We let culture shape our morality and our children's morality and then use some offshoot manipulation of the Bible to reinforce those values rather than letting the Bible shape the culture in our homes and transform our minds. This is why with mountains of evidence, with mountains of evidence, we still have a problem with accepting the Bible as a whole. Have you ever noticed how people nowadays change language? Because if we change the meaning, we no longer have to be held to the standards or accountability that comes from it. See, the root of original sin was birthed out of a twisting of God's words. The devil in the garden uh, said to Eve in in Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, he said, "Did, did God really say that? Did he really say that? These are old, cheap tricks used to keep us in bondage, to keep us ignorant, to keep us captive. And that's not just relegated to the Old Testament either. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul is giving Timothy instructions on preaching the word of God. And this is what he says. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus, Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead. When he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. In other words, don't believe a pastor with tattoos. Seriously, know the word of God. Church, know the word of God. Know the word of God and test it against all teachings. All teachings in and out of the four walls of church. Outside of the church and inside of the church. Listen, I get the weight of these words. It's easy to say, but difficult to live. These days... Language is confused. We talk past each other, define words differently, value knowledge and meaning in different ways. We shun logic and celebrate all viewpoints as equally valid, except for traditional Christian ones. And that's why there's never been a more difficult time to live as a person dedicated to truth. See, if we're going to be truth seekers, we have to be purposeful and intentional. And I've said it before, if the devil knows the Bible, he knows the Bible, right? He knows it. And the only way that spells trouble for you or I is if the devil knows the Bible better than us. Because then you'll fall victim to whatever sounds like good or believable. And don't miss this. Here's a good good one to write down. Just as truth can be presented harshly, lies can be told in a loving tone. Christianity is a belief system that stands or falls on objective truth. It's not simply a set of teachings or a philosophy or a lifestyle. It's about placing active trust in the person of Jesus and the reconciliation with God secured for us on the cross. And all of this depends on the resurrection of Jesus being something that actually happened. An objective truth. The truth is that some biblical teachings are difficult. They make us uncomfortable. They, make us call, they call us to deny ourselves and prefer Jesus over our family and friends. They get up all into our sex lives and in our relationships and our identities. And contrary to the pronouncements of some, it is not brave, it is not revolutionary to deny the truth in order to speak your truth. It just isn't. It won't help you grow. It won't help you relax. It won't help you find peace. It might feel good for a while, but in the end, it will simply bring anxiety, pain, depression, exhaustion. Ultimately, it will not facilitate peace with God because it is at odds with God, who's the only true, true source of peace there is. Joshua 1.8 says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written on it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. See, I believe the Bible is true because it makes my life infinitely better as I study it and apply it to my life and live out its principles. I'm gonna make a bold claim. I think that ditching the jargon and clinging to the timeless truths of the Bible is the most freeing and stabilizing thing we can do. I think it will ease anxiety, quell depression, and calm a restless heart. Recognizing who we are in Christ is the ultimate self-care because the word of God doesn't reinvent itself along with a constantly changing culture. It doesn't rely on half-truths force-fed to you as a quick fix. The Bible has to be the authoritative guidepost for each and every one of our lives. It has to be for it to work. It has to be. And that can only happen if we make the Bible essential, like the air God gave us. We can only know the truth of the Bible to the extent of how much we exercise and test its truths. Let me put it this way. You can show me a guitar and say to me, hey, this is the best sounding guitar that's ever been built. But unless I plug it in and play it and put it to the test, I'll never know that that is a true statement, right? And you might say, well, well, Pastor Steve says that that guitar is awesome. Well, Pastor Steve's tone is garbage. So I can't take that for, uh, 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 trust his opinion. I have to see for myself. His tone's not garbage. See where I'm going with this, though? John 1, 1 through 18, I don't have time to go through the entirety of the passage, says, in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God isn't just words to live by people, it's in fact the living Word. It's Jesus. We see Him in the beginning, the middle, and the end. And if you can't see that, start looking. You can't start looking for the truth of the Bible and leave out the Bible. That's nonsense. We have to look for it. This is why it's so crucial for us to understand as followers of Christ, we cannot treat the word of God as anything but holy and sacred. And most importantly, a letter of love written to you. Now I wasn't gonna share this, but I'm gonna share it anyhow. I had a friend that was on a a spiritual journey. He had grown up in the church. He went to Bible college and then fell away from the Lord. And he, he was still living at home with his parents shortly after college. And he said, I'm going to go on this spiritual journey, and I'm going to find God. And he kept saying that, and, or find, find a, a spiritual awakening. He didn't say he was going to find God. He said he was going to find this awakening moment. And his mom said to him, well, if you're going to go on this journey, he's going to go out for two months, take your Bible, take this Bible with you. I have, I have something marked in it for you. And he said, no, Mom, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, how can you go on a spiritual journey, an authentic spiritual journey, and not bring the Bible with you? Not press and look at every area. And he said, all right, all right, I'll take it. And he put it in his backpack and he went. And he never looked at it. And he went out for two months, and he kept trying to press into different types of religions, different types of meditation, different types of finding spiritualism, and he just was not fulfilled. He could not find what he was looking for. And it was about two days before he was to come back, and he reached into his backpack to get something, and he saw the Bible that his mom had given him. And he opened it up, and she had made a mark. On uh, Psalm 23, and he uh, he began to read it, and he was broken because God spoke to him. And he came back and he said, Mom, I found God, I found God. See, when you start looking in the Word of God, when you start looking for truth, you're going to find it because God's going to reveal it to you. Why do you think the Bible is true? Because God is true, and he's true in it, and he will reveal to you himself in it but we have to open it, people. We have to be in it. We have to live it. We have to breathe it, consume it. We have so much information. We have so many things that we can feed off of. We, have, we are consumers, yet we're starving, starving for more of the Lord. It's because we're not getting into his word. We're not meditating on it. We're not revering it. Church, now is the time to step it up Get into his word. Get into his word. Reading the Bible, this is a quote from Rick Warren. Reading the Bible generates life. It produces change. It heals hurts. It builds character. It transforms circumstances. It imparts joy. It overcomes adversity. It defeats temptation. It infuses hope. It releases power and it cleanses the mind. Romans 1 16 through 17 says this, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The, first, the Jew first and then the Gentile, and you can just put your name in there. This is good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it's through faith that the righteous person has life. Why should I believe the Bible is true? Because it is our lifeline to understanding the truth and the meaning of life, because we hear the voice of the Lord in it and through it, because it's essential to our relationship with God. See, if we don't hold to the truth of every word, we diminish the power it has to fundamentally change everything, everything. So my hope and prayer for you tonight is that I've given you enough to be encouraged and to press into more, more of God, more of his word. And some of you might not know where to start, so let me give you a few tips for your next steps. First is get a Bible. We have three Bibles here. I'll give you one tonight. I'll give you one. Just come and grab it. There's apps as well. You can download apps. Number two is find a place that works for you and get in the Word daily. Don't do something that's going to, don't set up lofty ambitions like I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. and start reading my Word for five hours until I have to go to, don't, find a time that works for you. If you're a night person, do it at night. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you have to do it in the afternoon, but make time for God. Number three, when you read your Bible, don't just flip and point. We call that Bible roulette. What that's going to do is it's going to leave you confused. All right? It's going to leave you <laughs> bewildered. Trust me, some weird stuff comes up when that happens. Start with a book like John or Romans. And there's also reading plans on apps as well. And we have some reading materials for you that you can come and, and grab as well. Know the genre. You're reading it. Is it history? Is it poetry? Is it the gospels? Is it letters? Number four, ask lots of questions. Start writing stuff down. If you have a question, there's, there's so many people here, like Pastor Ed, like what a, a brain that dude has, right? I'm certain if you had a biblical question to ask him, he's got an answer for you. So bring it, write it down. Bring it to him. Pray. Number six is pray. Pray before opening. Talk to God before reading and ask him to be with you as you read. And then pray afterwards as you commune with God, as you talk to God. And number seven, talk to people. This is why we have life groups. This is why we build each other up, spur each other on to acts of good works. So you talk about what we're learning and what God's teaching us in his word. Ask. I also realize, for some of you, that first step we need to take is to be in a relationship with Jesus. And so, maybe you've made the decision before, or, and you've walked away from the Lord, or maybe you're coming back to God. And I just want to pray a prayer with you. If we could pray this out loud, I'd, so everybody bow their head and close their eyes, and we'll say this together: Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that I fall short of Your glory. I believe You died. I believe you were raised from the dead. Come into my life, direct my steps. I renounce my sinful nature and choose you, amen. welcome to the family. Stick around for some more next steps. We're experiencing a mighty move of God through the- Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.